from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry, talking way far away from my microphone so I don't blow out the listeners. Shout out to Rick. Thanks, Rick, for fixing that problem. Hey, this is Michelle MJ Boyle. And this is Mark. Oh, boy. Perry's got nothing. Perry's, got Perry's containing his enthusiasm. I'm doing my best. How's everyone doing? We're coming on the, we're, we're on the backside of the, um, we're far on the backside of the Tiny House Tiny Living Festival that occurred. When's the show coming out? A couple of weeks from now. So, like, a it came of, out last week. A couple of weeks ago. <laughs> we're just following the trend of our last show, which we were in a time warp because we were interviewing people before the festival, but they were going to be in the festival. And so it was like this weird time thing. Right. And we're still in that space now. The show was really, for me, it was really fun. Yeah. Not fun. Fun's not the right word. Yeah, that's why I asked you about that. Yeah. You said I, that wasn't really the right mindset. Really you were wet. more an informational <laughs> gathering. It was wet. Yeah. It was there very it was wet. wet. You were in more the... an information gathering yeah. space. I wanted my wife to see what it's like to be in these tiny houses because she had never been to a festival before. She's actually never been to see a tiny house. What was her first impression? Her first, uh, The first one she saw was Zills. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, I could live in this. Without but, you. <laughs> But it's like 10 feet wide. It's, it's two feet wider than normal, yeah, right? Yeah. So she really got into that one. And then we went to the one next to his, which was the, you remember which one was right? Was it Artisan? To, on which side? On the, if you're looking at his, it's on, it was on the right. Oh, that was probably Tiny Mountain House. Yes, Tiny Lewin Mountain Nick. House. Yes. Yeah. She really liked that one. Uh, and then... Their houses are really functional. Celeste, they're the ones that yeah, built that Celeste's was it. house, our guest. Yeah, that's what she really liked. She yeah. really liked the functionality of it and the, the appointment. We're really like the the layout on their show model yeah. is pretty pretty nice. Yeah, I pretty like nice. that one. Yeah, and so so she liked those, and then um, she really liked the iron. What's that one with Ironwood? Iron, Ironwood tiny yeah. house. Yeah, that she really loved that one, and wow. I kind of got off on that one too. It was way over the top. I mean, it <sighs> was I, in a complimentary way, but it was like really it was the quintessential. They, it was a couple of uh, new builders. Out of Sisters, Oregon, mm-hmm. which is supposed to bend, mm-hmm. it, you go. To, you can almost tell that's where they were from. But I love the other <laughs> stuff, true. like not just the tiny. I like the porch and the back door yeah. and the it's you really know smart and, build and the wraparound live edge shelving. Mm-hmm. There's some really really cool stuff that I haven't mm-hmm. seen done in tiny houses before. So and the quality of their work looked really high. Yeah, it always yeah. absolutely amazes me that no matter how many tiny houses I have seen. Um, there's always something new. There's always something new, yeah. I think. Yeah, that yeah. was a really nice one. I agree. Yeah. And I then agree. We, we went and looked, well, we looked at your, I don't know what to call that little thing that you have. Her name is Eris the Hippie Teardrop. Eris the Hippie Teardrop. <laughs> it's funny because the, um, her wheels are cambered out. Yes. It, oh, is that intentional or is that a weight situation <laughs> or too wide an axle situation? No, what happened? I'm surprised you noticed. I That's noticed awesome that you noticed. <laughs> No, that was actually a mistake that was actually made by the the guy that originally built it. So that was a reno. The long story is I bought it on an impulse and then I figured out how poorly it was made. So 
I <laughs> completely redid it. The last thing I have to redo. So what he did is he flipped the axles. Uh-huh. And um, they were meant to be cambered the other oh. direction. And he didn't either understand or know that. Okay. So I have an appointment to get them flipped, but it's a few hundred bucks. It's mm -hmm. not a structural issue or anything like that. Yeah. And because it's so lightweight and it doesn't haul that much weight, it's not That's a big true. deal. Yeah. Um, but I'm surprised you noticed because yeah. I noticed it also right away. And I'm thinking. <laughs> I yeah. told my wife, I said, Michelle's. Michelle's um, trailer is smiling at us because yes, exactly. it looks like Axel kind of goes like Yes, that. exactly. It was cambered in the wrong direction. So I got to get that flipped. Um, <clears throat> I mean, my best guess is that he flipped it thinking he was going to get additional clearance. But it's not like I'm going to take the stupid thing for wheeling or something. Oh, I see. Clearance from the ground up. Right, exactly. From the ground to the axle or something. Huh. I don't know. That's but anyway, so... Um, he needs to make it down under and flip it around. Not yet, Mark. Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I was trying. Not done yet. <laughs> he's, no. Take he's that camber. <laughs> we also we also really like the bus conversions. The bus conversions are oh, the amazing. Yeah. yeah, the way you can make them into separate rooms and stuff, which you can't do in a tiny house for the most part. I mean, the bedrooms in those places and the bathrooms and the little lounges up front were all just really spectacular. Did it still feel bussy at all or not really? It depends on how much people put effort into it right. from my perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some of them mm -hmm. felt really, really cool. And you didn't feel too much like you were in a bus. But then others, yeah, you did. But it didn't really matter because it kind of lend itself to it. Mm -hmm. It's a natural extension of the tiny house movement mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's really kind of funny though because at the shows now, having been at several festivals where there were schoolies and tiny houses both featured, what's interesting to me is almost like the, ironically, this is going to sound weird, like sociological differences. Like yeah, there's that's the tiny true, houses, actually. and we're over here, the we culture. all know each other, mm -hmm. and we do our thing, and we talk about tiny houses and how to tow them mm -hmm. and how much they weigh and how, the, how, how tall they have to be, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then there's this group of guys on the other side, and, and they're like, yep, and girls. Yeah, yeah there's my bus. Exactly. Like, I mean, they're, they're so, it, it's... <laughs> Want to do math. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, so they have a way, what from my perspective, like almost a way more laid back approach to this. When I want to go, I start up the bus and I move it there. You know, um, my teardrop, you mentioned, like it came about as a result of having calculated, now that I live in the tiny house, I want to travel. And the cheapest way to travel is with a very, very, very small to mid-sized car mm -hmm. and a very, very, very small mm -hmm. teardrop, right? Mm -hmm. It's warm, it's secure, it's mm -hmm. dry, it's quiet. That's mm -hmm. all I need. So it's funny how everybody sort of approaches the simplicity and the <clears throat> flexibility and travel. Everybody approaches it a little bit different. And there was a couple of van conversions there well, too. I was going to say, right in between yeah. your teardrop and the buses were the vans and those guys were really laid, and girls were really <laughs> laid back. And I, I, if there's anyone that's like a real pirate in this movement, it's those guys. Because their little things are like, Lord have mercy, how do you do it? And then, and it's pretty cool to see, though. Yeah. When we made that trip to Idaho, we saw quite a few van conversions. Um, they're way more into boondocking, too. Yeah, they um, are. I think probably the schoolies are as well, um, but not as much as the... I mean, those van guys, they pride themselves on, you know, parking on backwoods for four weeks and not seeing any, you know what wow. I mean? I mean, that, yeah. again, they're, they're, it's, an, it's a natural extension, but almost yeah. an extreme extension of the tiny yeah. house and simple living. Totally. It takes four weeks to bury this stuff. 
exactly. Well, first you got to chop them up. Yeah. And then you got to stick them in a vat of acid. <laughs> Shout out to Walter White. Exactly. Okay, Mark, throw out that transition. Oh, I had it before and now I just, I just don't. It's like it hopped away. Oh, very oh, good. Very good. Nice. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Although, do they have do they have kangaroos in New Zealand? No, I'm so oh, sorry. I, thought they had <laughs> I know the difference between the two. Let me say, okay, it's not it's like okay. Africa's one country. I understand. I'm still going to give you points for trying, and you're yeah. in the right hemisphere. <laughs> exactly. Us Westerners, we're so uneducated geologically, we are, aren't we? Our American, yeah. Uh, no, no, I had a no good friend how. that lived in Christchurch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For about 10 years. And nice. I've never been, but. So that person with that strange accent is Bryce Langston. <laughs> Hello. He's visiting our studios in person today with his driver, Nick. Wit. Sorry. Wit. It's Wit. traditional. It's a tradition here. At the Even if you had your name up on exactly. your forehead, I'd still no, get it wrong. Still, no. I'd probably read it backwards. <laughs> yeah, it's super surreal to actually be joining you guys all here. I listened to your podcast from back in New Zealand, and now I'm sitting in Portland in your studio, which is super crazy. That oh, is super crazy. Cool. It's nice. super crazy. Yeah. Nice lie. Thanks. So, um, what's, the, what's the weather like in New Zealand right now? You know, probably a lot like here in Portland. What? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it rained when I got here just to make me feel at home. <laughs> it rains a lot down there? Oh, gosh, yeah. We're a little Pacific island, right? So, oh, it's yeah. very subtropical, and I think climate-wise, we're really similar to the Pacific Northwest. Huh. Interesting. I mean, we've, we've had a really good run of summer weather. I mean, I, I would say probably in the last 10 weeks, minus this last weekend, we've had no rain, basically. It's been crazy over here. Yeah. I arrived in North America in February. And since I arrived, and I've been traveling all over from coast to coast, right? But since I arrived, I think I've maybe had a week worth of rain the whole time I've been here. Wow. It's been crazy. I've That's been so great. lucky with the weather. Well, I say lucky. Um, you know, the last two months I've been virtually driving through forest fires the whole time. Well, so yeah, I don't know if we the, can call that luck. Right. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely happy to see some rain right now. So when did you arrive? You said you arrived in Portland just in time for the rain. When did you arrive in Portland? Like a couple of days before the festival. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah I was just in time for it. Wow. Yeah. So um, we probably should, should do a little introduction, which we did not do. A so, real introduction. A real introduction. So... Um, this guy in our studio is a famous. Can I say you're famous? You're famous. I I, I, I don't it. even know what famous means. No, okay. I, I'm a YouTuber. You're a YouTuber. I'm a yes, YouTuber. So people, say, YouTuber. Some people watch yeah. my videos. Yeah, yeah. Most people probably don't know who I am. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your channel is is it, is it living big in a tiny house? Living big in a tiny house. That's and you called it that because are you, is it because you're over six feet? Because I'm not suffering quietly in a small space. Oh, righteous man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to, uh, oh, when I started the channel, it was really a sort of an experiment in, in what, what it meant to be living in a small space and what it, could do, what it could do for your life. So I really was wondering just, you know, if we're willing to downsize, if we're willing to live in these smaller homes, what we can actually create room for in, in life. And to me, it was really about an opportunity to connect with things which were more innately important, which to me are relationships and experiences. And, and that's why I wanted to call the show Living Big, because I didn't feel that moving into a smaller space would be a sacrifice. I thought it would be adding value to my life. Yeah, I, I think most people would agree with that once they're doing it. Until, yeah. Yeah. So uh, how long have you been doing the show? Gosh, you know, it must be at least three years now. Oh, wow. It's been a while. So a question that Mark and I, I think we have individually, but we've never really talked about it is, are you making any money? Not you particularly, but do YouTubers, some YouTubers have made a lot of money over the years, but these days with the changes in the algorithm and stuff, are you making money, revenue from that thing? It's a weird thing. Yeah. 
you know, it, it totally varies from month to month. And there are so many different variables that go into what you can actually make as a living on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It can depend on the time of year, who's advertising, what the economy is doing. And certainly the, uh, the algorithms, the algorithmic changes have affected a lot of YouTubers. Yeah. I think the tiny house show is considered by YouTube to be pretty advertiser friendly. You know, we're not really talking about anything that's all too controversial and we don't have a ton of swearing or violence on my show yet. So <laughs> he hasn't been in my house, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, I haven't really been too affected by that. Um, but you know, I, for me, it was a lifestyle choice. So I, you know, I don't make a ton of money off of YouTube, but I, I get to live this really wonderful life. Yeah. And, and thankfully, because I live very simply, I'm able to, to, to get by with what I do make on YouTube. So oh, nice. I, I feel really lucky okay. for that. Okay. And, you know, I mean, I, I often say that even though I make less money than my friends, because of the way that I live, I have a much greater lifestyle and often more disposable income because, mm. you know, when you're traveling simply, it's not, it's not really, it doesn't have to be an expensive way exactly. of life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. How many, how many subscribers do you have? I think right now it's coming up on about 525,000, something oh, wow. like that. Wow, that's good. So you've gotten, so I, I listen or watch this other YouTuber that does these sailing videos and they have about that many people too. Right, who's uh, that? It's uh, Delos. Oh, yeah. You know those guys? SV Delos? Yeah, SV Delos. They're cool. They're really cool. Yeah, I would love to jump on their boat. I got to sail earlier uh, last, sorry, actually it was last year. Um, I was sailing with La Vagabond. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, have, really? you, have you ever come you across know, those guys? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. They Them just got know, that yeah. new catamaran as a result of their show. Yeah, it's plush. Unfortunately, uh, I haven't been on that one yet, but uh -huh. I'm trying to tee up to maybe do an ocean crossing with them because that's definitely a bucket list item for me. You know, I think it would be really cool if we could get either La Vagabond or Delos on our show. It would I bet be you could. so amazing yeah. to talk about what they do. But they're anyway, all such nice people. They're really mm. nice. All of them are. Um, but anyway... Um, by the way, they're making a, a heck ton more money than than me. I know. Oh, yeah. oh gosh, so yeah. Much I, money last on time YouTube. I looked at, um, oh gosh, who was it? Was it was the Vagabond? They're doing the Patreon thing. Yeah, and they are slamming it they're on slamming Patreon. It. Oh my yeah. gosh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, really? yeah. yeah. I think yeah. they're making. I mean, last time I checked, just on Patreon alone, they were making eight or nine grand a week. Yeah, wow. which is yeah. insane. insane. What, are, what are their rewards? Uh, I don't know what their rewards are. I satisfaction of watching a cool show. That's, I really don't know. I mean, that's the main I mean, that one. should be yeah. the main one. I know yeah. they're giving away t-shirts and yeah. a whole bunch of other stuff. And actually, probably. what I think, yeah, that's what I think they were doing. I think that if you're one of the patrons, you can actually have the opportunity to win a trip on the boat, mm. nice. which would be mm -hmm. total motivation, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. who would not want to go sailing with those guys? Exactly. Well, the reason why I bring them up is because um, Delos, when they reached, I think it was half a million subscribers, YouTube sent them this plaque Right. Did you do you have one of those? Yeah, you get Tell, one. Yeah. You get one when you hit a hundred thousand. What, what is that then, one? That one's a silver one. Uh -huh. So it's a little silver play button. Uh huh. And it was like, I oh gosh, the feeling of getting one of those things is so cool. I just when I started the YouTube channel, I never expected anything from it. I thought people would just think I was nuts. Uh -huh. And uh, when I hit a hundred thousand, I just could not believe it. And the next one is the gold play button, which you get when you hit a million subscribers. Oh, okay. So I'm still quite a way off away. that one. Yeah. But uh, I'm working for it. I'm working <laughs> for it. <laughs> After everybody hears the show, then... Well, exactly. Oh, yeah. I'll we'll we'll be there. there. We'll we'll be there. Oh, I'll send you a picture of me with my gold. And the, we'll be the, right there. The absolute pinnacle is your diamond play button. And for oh, that, I think you need 10 million subscribers. 
Does Holy. anyone have that on YouTube? Oh, oh gosh, yeah. Oh, really? There's a there's a few of them. Wow. There's a few of them. But oh, uh man. yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So your tiny house um looks uh pretty basic. Back home, yeah. Yeah. yeah right now it's it's uh it's still to be fitted out on mm-hmm. the interior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's actually taken me a long time to build. And a big part of the reason for that was the show taking off. Yeah. So I, you know, as I said, it'll be, I've, this time I will have been away for a year. So I haven't really had an opportunity to work on it. And everyone's just asking me how, how it's going, when it's going to be finished. And because I'm traveling so much now, I think I've kind of resigned myself to the idea that I'm not going to be able to do a lot of the finishing work myself. So I have a friend back home in New Zealand who's going to be helping me just complete the interior nice. and, and that'll get me actually living in the house a lot, a lot well, quicker. I, I just had one question about it, and then we'll get back to your show. Sure. In, in your on your website, you talk about how you wanted to integrate permaculture concepts into building your tiny house. Sure. How do those two interact? How do you how do you build a home according to permaculture? Concepts? I think they interact in a really big way. For me, it was it was looking at things like the life cycle of products. What happens after the house is done? I so see. I was trying to make sure that all the materials that go into it could be recyclable at the end of the home's life or compostable. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well, it was also looking at how to integrate things like solar, a rainwater collection, uh, off-grid technologies, and really just about making the home as simple and also self-sustaining as possible. Uh, later on, I'm also going to be experimenting with things like growing food in small spaces and integrating mm-hmm. maybe some hydroponic systems and that sort of thing into the home. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was really just about trying to trying to bring as many of those permacultural principles as possible into the tiny house. And even just a big part of that is the tiny house itself. It's really about, you know, not taking too many resources for yourself, leaving enough to share with others. And Mm -hmm. I think that's just something which is deeply embedded in the tiny house movement as it is. So, okay. So back to your show. So yeah, I presume you enjoy traveling. I love traveling. Were you traveling before you did the show? Not really, actually. I was uh, I was an actor back home in New Zealand, and one so of the things. Soap opera star. Oh, a yeah. star? Were you a star? <laughs> I, I was. I was working on the, a local soap opera. It's um. It's it's yeah. It's a popular show. Are you familiar <laughs> with the soap operas in America in the United States? I am. Were they I on? Am. Was your show on par with like One Life to Live or Guiding Light? I okay. I don't know either of those ones. Probably because you're okay. Too let's young. just say. Um, yeah. And, and to, it's a corny show, man. Like if you maybe cross Aren't General Hospital with Bold and the Beautiful, you get Shortland Street. <laughs> really? It's, it's a train wreck. <laughs> but it was a ton of fun to work on. As an actor, it's really hard to find regular work. Uh-huh. So when you actually sign a contract onto a, onto a soap and you, get, you know that you've got X number of months or you know, sometimes years to work on a show, it's a really great feeling. Mm. And there are very few opportunities to hone your craft as much as you do on a soap opera. Uh, Sh- hmm. uh, Shortland Street is actually one of the fastest turned around television shows in the world. What is turned around? Uh, oh, basically like means production? films in Got production. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there were times, actually, so every single weeknight at seven in New Zealand, it goes live. Wow. So <laughs> it was just crazy. We were, the, the filming schedule was hectic and every day you're shooting, you're shooting scenes and you're, you're working. Uh, and you know, where, whereas on a, an American production, when, when I've worked on American productions, you're maybe producing between one and two minutes of television a day on Shortland wow. street, we were shooting around 30 to 40 minutes of TV a day, Wow, which was unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. And to, and I presume you like that work. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you get to, it's like being a kid, yeah. right? You just get to play, you get to be a character and you get to do stuff that you would never do in life. And I've never really found satisfaction in any job like I found in acting. Hmm. 
and I've got to just, you know, I've been an elf in a video game series and I played a, a gladiator on Spartacus and things like that. And, and, you know, I got to play with swords for months as my job. I mean, that was ridiculous. When I started acting, I was like, I cannot believe the stuff that you can actually get paid to do in this world. How did you get into acting? I've always really been interested in it. I was big into drama when I was in high school. Okay. And then when I, when, I was, uh, when I went to university, I was doing television commercials. And so that's kind of how I got into it, through commercial acting. But how did you get into television commercials? It was just, I guess it was just a natural transition from drama. Huh. I, I really enjoyed uh, doing, I was doing like theater productions and stuff. And just through that, the kind of circles that I was in, people were getting agents and doing commercials. And I was just like, yeah, that's something I would love to give a shot at. And I never really actually sort of thought that it was something that I could do. And then I ended up coming to LA for a short period of time and I got mixed up with a whole bunch of people who were, who were working as actors. And I realized that, you know, th there's this kind of pinnacle of the acting world where you're, an, you know, you're A-list celebrities. Mm -hmm. and, and that is, I think, probably very difficult to obtain. But what I didn't realize is that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of other actors out there who are solidly working, making an okay living, huh. doing what they love. And it just all of a sudden felt really attainable to me. So when I went back home to New Zealand, I, I was just, I, I actually fell into this, uh, this role as a, as a gladiator on Spartacus. I, they were advertising in a local paper. And through that, I met other actors and I got my agent. And then I started auditioning for other work, which is how I went everywhere else. <laughs> I think it's a similar scenario in music as well. You know, there's, there's certain musicians and certain bands and certain yeah. music that everybody knows. But one layer or even two layers down from that, there is a thriving, independent, you know, making money, having fun, pushing the envelope level of, huh. um, of culture just below that super, mm -hmm. superstar level. Talk in an, Amer in an American accent for me. Oh, my God. You're an actor. I can, I can, I can try. Let me try okay, here. Okay, yeah. um, so when you're in New Zealand, and it's kind of hard to just switch between the two. Uh-huh. Um, but how is this sounding? Is that kind of... Yeah, kind of very good. I haven't really actually done this in a while, but I'm just going to try for you. So. <laughs> okay, Perry, you, you do the office. Well, crikey, I tell you, when I go down to... <laughs> I can't do that shit. <laughs> hey, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> that wasn't too bad? Uh, yeah, I can promise that Aussies all talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> they all talk like Crocodile Dundee. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so if you, liked, if you like acting so much, how did you get on the road with Tiny Houses? What, what was the transition? Well, I was killed off my TV show. <laughs> Oh, how were you killed? I was drowned in a With bathtub. A <laughs> in a bathtub. <laughs> and after that, I was. What, what actually happened was the film industry in New Zealand is really reliant on actually what's going on in North America. Oh. So Hollywood's like your big world production hub. And quite often, Hollywood productions will leave LA and they'll go to other countries where it's cheaper to shoot. And all of a sudden, the New Zealand dollar just rose really high against the US and we got something like 90 cents to the US dollar. And it stopped becoming economic. It stopped being economically mm, viable right. for American productions to come to New Zealand. So mm -hmm. a lot of our work actually dried up as a result of that. A lot of the television commercials, which are sort of a lot of the, the actors' bread and butter stopped coming. Mm -hmm. And so that was what was, you know, that was the challenge. And I was looking, I was basically just wanting a way that I could continue doing what I loved. So... Auckland is a stupidly expensive city, Auckland, New Zealand, where I live. 
we're uh, in the housing affordability index. We're right on par with cities like New York and Vancouver, wow. which is ridiculous considering we have only 2 million people in our city. Wow. But the, the cost of real estate is really high. Most Kiwis are actually spending about half of their weekly income on rent, wow. which is just insane. I think a, a, a one-bedroom apartment in central Auckland right now will run you about $500 a week, uh, 500 New Zealand dollars a week, which is you know, a lot of money. So I was in this situation where I could see myself spending so much money on just surviving. And it's very, very difficult to be an artist when you're also struggling to survive. Mm. And I was looking for ways that I could simplify my life and reduce my expenses and, you know, just be able to continue doing what I loved. And I was, I'd been studying permaculture and out of my interest in permaculture, I was looking into earth building and I actually started a little earth building apprenticeship where I went in and started learning to build with cob and straw bale and this sort of thing. But the problem with building an, an, earth, an earth home is you actually still need the land, right? And the yeah. land is often the hardest part in the whole real estate yeah. e equation to, to get. And then one day I saw online a picture of a tiny house on wheels and it was just like an explosion in my brain. I was like, this is perfect. I get to own my own home, build it to my own specifications and I can, I can actually own it without needing to own the land that it sits on. And that to me was a game-changing model. Is that something you could do legally in New Zealand? Live no, in a I, tiny house without? No, it's, it's definitely a, a gray area. Okay. But I was not, I was, you know, a lot of people talk to me about legality. I was never concerned with the legality. I see. I, I, I think that I'm much more interested in doing what's right than what's legal. Right. And for me, I didn't feel like politically anybody could really challenge what I was doing. We have a, we have a homelessness e epidemic in New Zealand right now. And as far as I'm concerned, if I wanted to build a nice little safe, sustainable tiny house on wheels, no politician would be able to challenge me for doing that when there are thousands of people sleeping rough on my city streets. Mm. So that Amen. was really what I wanted to mm. challenge. And I wish more people took that perspective. Mm. Um, yeah, it would be. Yeah. I wish more people. I mean, when yeah. I first got involved in the movement a couple of years ago, my first theory was the reason why there aren't more tiny houses is because people don't have money to build them and you can't finance them. But over the last two years, I've said this before too, um, my perspective has changed 180 degrees. The reason why people don't build more tiny houses or buy more tiny houses is because they have very, very low tolerance for risk. And yeah, they want to wait and sit back and wait until it's legal and wait until it's okay and wait until they get permission. Wait until they're told it's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, the, the movement definitely um, will gain more momentum if more people like yourself think I'm not asking for permission. I'm, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do for me, yeah. for my family, for the economy, for, you know, for the environment. So yeah, I, I, I was willing to take a stand on it as well. And I, when I was actually building the tiny house, because, because, it was, because it was actually one of the very first tiny homes that was being built in New Zealand, the way that I was approaching it was I made sure I built strong partnerships. Mm. So I was, uh, you know, I, for example, the, the, there was an architect that I was working on in the early project called Johann Bernhardt. Um, if you want a, an architect, always go German. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the name Austrian. just sounds exactly. exactly. Austrian, 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 Austrian architect right. on here. That was a fun show. Yeah. You can never lose with a German architect. <laughs> so, uh, so we were working together and he was one of the, the, the real pioneering and, and, um, sort of a very, a very well-respected figure in the architectural world, mm. particularly around designing ecologically sustainable buildings. And so I partnered with him really to sort of get a lot of credibility to my project and, and be able to 
and and then as well, you know, when I when I built the steel frame of the tiny house, I made sure I did it with a really prominent New Zealand company, and all of the engineering was was done, and I got engineering reports and all of that sort of stuff. I wanted to really make sure all of my boxes were ticked, so that if the council turned around and said that's not a safe house to live in, I could you know chuck a stack of paperwork mm-hmm. down on their table that suggested otherwise, and I wanted to be in a really strong position to take on the fight because I was expecting a fight when I did the tiny house and the fight never came. It never came mm. because I think politically they realized that there was, they didn't really have a, a ground no to stand on and well, there was no upside Is that it or is it because you're not living in it yet? It's not finished yet. Well, I, I guess the, in terms of the tiny house movement, even though I'm not personally living in mm-hmm. my tiny house yet, the movement has really substantially grown in New oh, Zealand and many, many more people have. Uh, particularly in cities like Christchurch, after the 2010, 2011 earthquakes, mm-hmm. there was a real upsurge in people in those cities who were uh, taking up tiny house living as an alternative. And, and it's, you know, it's become relatively mainstreamed in New Zealand now really? to be living in a tiny house. I mean, the tiny house movement here in, uh, here in the United States, its scale is so much greater. But if you actually look at the percentage of the population who live tiny versus the percentage of the population who live tiny in New Zealand, we actually have much greater numbers per head of capita. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. Speaking of natural disasters, by the way, um, shout out to all the love, all our tiny house listeners down in, in uh, Texas and down in Florida. Most of the tiny houses, with only one exception, made it through Harvey and Irma. Yeah. Wow. Um, so mm. pretty happy to hear that. What yeah. happened to and that wondering one actually if the if the tiny house movement then also sees that that response to the to the disasters down there as well, people that have lost their homes or people that look to sort of bounce back more quickly. Absolutely, I think that tiny, the tiny house movement has a lot to offer to both resilience from natural disasters as well as recovery from natural disasters. Certainly in terms of resilience, having the benefit of a home on wheels yeah. is a really great thing. I mean, those who were watching, I mean, the, the, the beautiful thing about a, a hurricane as opposed to an earthquake is that it, you have warning, right? Like the people who were down in Florida, they had a lot of warning that Irma mm-hmm. was coming. And yep. you, if you were in a tiny house, you had the ability to hook up and leave yep. right. with your home and, and make sure everything was intact. A, an earthquake is a very different sort of thing because it's you know, very sudden, very mm-hmm. violent, and there's no way of predicting that it's going to happen. But uh, the benefit of that as well, though, is that if you are in a tiny house on wheels, uh, a tiny house on wheels is designed to take those forces and shocks. I mean, if you're moving a tiny house down the motorway, you're subjecting it effectively to the same forces that would be subjected to during a magnitude 8 earthquake, right? And a hurricane at the same time. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah the exactly. wind. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they're very, very robust homes. But then also on the wow. flip side of that, of that, once the once after the the uh, the earthquake, there was a lot of people who had lost their their homes, and who all of a sudden, if you've lost your home, if it's been destroyed in a natural disaster, and you know you're having issue getting issues getting paid out by your insurance companies, and and all of the issues that surround it, it's a it's a it's a nightmare. Uh, all of a sudden, in that scenario having a a conventional four-bedroom home can feel a lot less secure than a little tiny house on wheels. Also, little things that you don't think about, like uh, the toilet, our sewerage, uh, all of the sewer infrastructure in Christchurch was destroyed. And there were places that six months after the earthquake still didn't have sewer hookups, right? So the tiny houses and people that were living in them who were already using composting toilets were not affected. Yeah. Um, people who had simple solar off-grid systems weren't affected by the fact that they weren't hooked up to the, wow. the municipal power anymore. And yeah. Just little things like that. 
um, there's, there's just a lot of potential within the tiny house movement and we have a lot to offer people who are in those scenarios. It's funny because Mark and I yesterday were talking about, um, so there's this entrepreneur who tweeted yesterday about the, the housing situation in California and he said that it's, there's, he, he cited this newspaper article that said 50% of people who live in California are considering moving because like in New Zealand, the housing prices have just gotten out of control, mm-hmm, yeah. including rent. And so um, Mark was surprised how many people were responding to that tweet on Twitter saying that tiny houses were the solution. Yeah, he was looking for solutions and just out of the blue, I don't know, one in five, yeah, one, one in six in five or so. responses was tiny houses. Yeah, right. and, it's like, yeah. and I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong about this, but I think LA is about to legalize tiny house living, aren't they? I know the guys from the Latch I Collective, I was, I was staying with them uh, when I was in Los Angeles. And they're doing tremendous work in getting tiny house living legalized as part of the accessory dwelling units. Oh, so, that, that, so they're actually adding tiny homes on wheels to what's con- classified as an ADU, okay. which will mean that it's they can the be parked Fresno up and back. Code. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, that's they, right. They, yeah, they've code, been, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. They have been doing a lot of lobbying. And again, going back to the whole, um, what's in it for the, for the California, you know, the bureaucrats and the leaders, what's in it for them to fight it? There's not a lot of upside when no. someone's presenting you with a responsible, mm-hmm. respectable, affordable solution. Yeah. Um, and they have had, you know, they've had lots of meetings and they invite all the, you know, all the municipalities to come down and mayors and planning people. And they've, you're right. They, I haven't heard that we were, I haven't heard they were really close yet, but um, I haven't checked. I haven't touched in with them lately, but I know that they've been doing a lot of really amazing work. Yeah. Um, it maybe we be did great a workshop you- there in, in February too. Right. They, yeah, they came down and we had a lot of fun. Yeah, it'd be great for maybe you guys to connect with them later on the show because yeah. they're doing some great work down there. Yeah, they it would are. Be I nice agree. To have them on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. The the uh, Mark and I talked when we were talking about this situation. It was the, the the challenge that I have about it is can you can tiny houses be a solution to that housing problem? I mean, and Mark was saying you could remember you were talking about putting like you're saying putting these houses in the back of dropping like, them in somebody's backyard. It helps them with. It density. helps the homeowners. With, well, density helps the homeowners with potential additional revenue. Yeah, but there's a limit to that too. Well, yeah, because you're only dropping one per backyard. Yeah, that's it. And so, and there's not a lot of land in Los Angeles and places like the Bay Area where mm-hmm. you can plop these things, and and it's not like you can stack them on top of each other. So, yeah. are are they are they real? Do you think they are a solution to this type of uh, housing crisis where you're in these urban areas that are really dense already, and there's not a whole lot of land? And yeah, I. I do. I, I also think that in some ways it's connected to what I call like the darker side of the tiny house movement. And, and what I mean by that is that there are a lot of people who come to tiny house living naturally because they desire it, because it, it already meets them where they are in life. Maybe they're minimalists. Maybe they love to travel. Maybe they like a lot of what the really positive aspects that the tiny house movement actually bring into their lives. And they've come to a conscious decision that they want to to build and live in a tiny house. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is people who are driven to the decision because they're out of options. Because, you know, we live in a world with increasing economic disparity where, um, you know, a, a lot of people simply can't afford rent and they simply, they just don't have any other options. So they're kind of being forced into these smaller homes yeah. without necessarily coming to the conscious realization themselves that that's what they want in life. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it, goes without saying that tiny house living is not for everyone. Right. Right. I do believe that you have to be a certain kind of person to be able to live comfortably in a really small space. And so 
when people are just forced into it by you know terrible town planning and economic uh, you know unfortunate economic situations, that's the sort of side of it that I really don't like to see. Mm. Well, when the Fresno after the Fresno Code was um, adopted, or part of the reason that why that was adopted, going back to your question about mm-hmm. the there's already so many houses mm-hmm. and it's already so dense. One of the major advantages of the quote-unquote ADU or the Fresno Code is the fact that the, the infrastructure is already there. Yes, that's true. So they don't have to, the, again, the city doesn't necessarily have to invest more money right. in more infrastructure, sidewalks and roads right. and fire departments right. and those right. types of things. Right. Um, might have to hire a few more teachers, which is not a bad thing, right? Yeah. Right. Um, maybe bump up a few of our classrooms, you know, mm-hmm. um, augment our education system mm-hmm. to account for the infill. But other than that, um, the infrastructure investment's fairly low. So it's a really, hopefully that um, that perception continues to grow. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. So, so what are some of the interesting stories that you've discovered on the road? Oh gosh, that's just such a huge question. <laughs> I mean, I... I 180 turn. Yeah. Let's go left. <laughs> oh my gosh. So just... You know, I'm really lucky that I've I've been able to to travel pretty far and wide and experience a lot of different things within the tiny house movement and see it happening not only here in North America but also back home in New Zealand, Australia, and uh, and Japan. And it just it just never ceases to amaze me all of the the really truly wonderful people that you can encounter and all everyone has a story. Mm. I mean, people who who are choosing to move into tiny houses they tend to be uh, like Portland, a little weird. Um, they've all got some, some cool stuff going on. They're all people who are thinking outside the box and sort of challenging the, the conventional norms. And so absolutely like for, for me, just the, the experience of getting to go out and meet these people and be a part of their world for a while is incredible. For example, when I was in Japan, we traveled to the, uh, the, I think it's called Kershu Island, the lowest island in Japan and to the Oita Prefecture to visit this Japanese master craftsman who's building these tiny homes. His name is Mr. Tagami, and mm. people can find him on Facebook and Instagram under Tiny House Japan. And he's one of the only master craftsmen in the area who's allowed to work on the temple restorations of these beautiful uh-huh. Buddhist or Zen Buddhist temples that are, that are there. And I had a, a wonderful experience with him. He, uh, he took us in for a few days and, 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 and showed us around. And we, despite not speaking the same language, there was like a lot of awkward charades going on, but <laughs> he's just a wonderful, friendly, giving, kind man. And one of the things that he'd actually done was organized a, a tour of one of the temples for us. And it was just, oh, it was just a beautiful experience. And for me, actually, uh, it was actually one of the Zen monks who took us on the tour through the temple and talked to me about so many of the principles. And for me, it was just so connected to the work that he was doing mm. and the tiny house movement and really uh, just being in this beautiful environment that was so simple with people who were living simply and people who were just really trying to connect with, with who they are and connect with what their purpose was on earth and, and just really, really trying to understand the deep roots of what happiness means. And that was a really wonderful connecting experience with me, wow. for me. Very cool. What is, if you were willing to, what is one of the worst experiences you've had so far on the road? Uh, <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> no, um, but I'm I, bum. <laughs> uh, travel is never easy. Mm. There, there are, uh, I'm, I'm somebody that can be pretty stressed out by my nature. And when you're, I, I, like, I like to be able to control situations to a degree. And when you're, and when you're traveling, your ability to control and to sort of, you know, um, just to, to be in charge of a situation totally goes out the window. You have to roll with the punches. And 
you know, for example, this travel here in North America, I bought this car in, in uh, Canada, which I was planning on uh, living out of with my girlfriend as we travel filming this show. And uh, it's just been a nightmare. It's having nothing but problems. I was driving <laughs> down to Portland on, and I, I lost all of my electrics in my car. I was on the interstate. I wow. lost power steering. I lost ABS brakes. Oh and then all of a sudden the whole dashboard just went dead. Oh. Uh, pulled over. Wouldn't start. I had to like disconnect and reconnect the battery. I think the computer in it's going or something like mm-hmm. that. But um, just little you know, experiences like that. Actually, the traveling and the logistics of getting around sometimes are really challenging mm-hmm. and hard and and it's definitely not always, uh, you know, it's not the hashtag van life all the time. You know, where you're like, <laughs> it, it, it comes with a whole bunch of challenges. Yeah. But, you know, if, if I wouldn't trade those experiences for the world. And if that's what I have to, to deal with, if, uh, with, and if that's the sort of situations that I have to go through in order to be able to travel and do what I do and meet the people that I meet and have the experiences that I'm, I'm having, then it's all so worth it. Are you still with your girlfriend? Yeah. What, what is, how did she get involved in this whole process? Has she so, been from the day one? Or? So no. So uh, I, I started the project with, uh, with a different girlfriend <laughs> and, and I, I got my ass dumped <laughs> sort of halfway through the project. Um, halfway hang on between a Japan yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was before Canada. all of that. Um, <laughs> what, what happened? She, she was, she, she's a filmmaker uh-huh. and she got an incredible job. She was actually American. She's actually from, uh, from Oregon oh. originally, but lives in New Zealand now. And we, we, we split up. She got this really incredible job to come to the United States. And she was working on a, not just the United States. It was like an international travel show that she got. And I guess just while she was away doing that show, she just realized she had different things that she wanted to do in life. And okay. so we split. And that was one of the things that sort of held up my build project originally. And um, just while I kind of regrouped my life and everything, I ended up building this Lotus Bell tent project where I lived for a while. And, and sort of I didn't, I didn't actually want to even look at my tiny house mm-hmm. for a long time after that happened. And then, uh, then yeah, uh, I, I, I met uh, my current girlfriend, Rasa, and... She was just, she, I was working with another videographer to do some of the tiny house shows at the time. And I think she just, she didn't want me to travel and go on all these adventures by myself. So she got really dedicated and went out and learned how to use a camera. And wow. she's recently been learning how to edit and stuff as well. And she's doing an amazing job. She's just incredible like that. So, uh, so yeah, we've been traveling now for, for almost two years. Wow. wow. So building a relationship on the road. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. I mean... Ch- uh, filming, um, filming a show is stressful and challenging. Yeah. Travel is stressful yeah. and challenging. Living in small spaces is stressful <laughs> and challenging. You combine all three of them, and it's a miracle we haven't smothered each other with a pillow yet, <laughs> <laughs> or killed you um, in the bathtub. <laughs> killed you in the bathtub. <laughs> in the bathtub. Um, and you know, I can't promise it's not still going to happen. Uh, but you know, you they certainly don't have bathtubs in tiny houses. That's, that's yeah. probably why. Yeah, <laughs> I made sure there wasn't one in mine. <laughs> But you just again, you know, it's it's an it's an opportunity to grow as a person and to to sort of uh, be respectful and 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 it's an, and it's, it's definitely an exercise in learning how to communicate. And I think it it, it definitely forces you to com- confront your problems, which I think is really really yeah. good. And it's and it's uh, I mean, it, it doesn't always look healthy, mm-hmm. but it's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So, at the risk of being cliche, what's next? What's next? Uh, lots of really cool, exciting stuff. So uh, I've, I've just started this next leg of my USA tour. 
So I started in the USA. I did three months traveling through. I've just done about four months traveling around British Columbia and Alberta and Canada. I've just re-entered the, the US, which was a miracle because I really didn't think I was going to get across the border this time. You guys have some hardcore crossing guards there. <laughs> We can't um, even come back. I've heard that. They'd be scary folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and especially coming from New Zealand as well. Like our, our police officers don't even carry guns, right? I see right. a gun and I like freeze up. <laughs> um, and they carry AKs I at know. the border. Yeah, I know. Bad. What are they doing with those things? <laughs> Protecting us from the yeah. nice Canadians. Oh, those yeah, Canadians. those scary Canadians, <laughs> those BC folk. Um, but yeah, so uh, so we've just come back into the US. We're now going to be uh, heading from here back into Washington for a little while and then traveling across country. We're doing a really exciting project in Tennessee. Uh, and then after that, we're going to be road tripping with said project. It's a tiny house on wheels um, <laughs> to the uh, to the jamboree in Texas. Oh, very so nice. I'm going to be at the at the tiny house jamboree, which is in uh, late October in Texas, and then after that, uh, we'll do a little bit of uh, further traveling. I'm not exactly sure. We're looking at maybe going across to Florida, or otherwise, we may come back to the West Coast and do some more filming around uh, California, and then after that, I'll be heading back to New Zealand for a couple of weeks before doing a. An, America, an Australian road trip. So we're going to be going from Melbourne right up across to Brisbane and Australia, which is really exciting. Wow. And then who knows what will happen next year. Very exciting. Very yeah. cool. Wow, that's all in the next few months. That's all amazing. in the next few months. That's yeah. Wow, that's amazing. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, Bryce, thank you for coming on the show today. It's been ha wonderful having you. It's interesting. Now you guys know why I was so excited that he was here. Well, yeah, Do you know how hard like, it is to get a oh, hold of him? Yeah, <laughs> and it's cool that when you... I had to stalk him from yeah. North Carolina to here. <laughs> when you have someone who is able to have conversation like this, it just, it just makes the time go very fast and mm -hmm. fills... Fills the fills the the show. With oh, it's been stuff. a pleasure. It's been so cool getting to hang out with all you cool thanks, kids. Thanks, yeah. So, listeners, you've heard it. Yes, another wonderful episode of Tiny House Podcast. Be sure to check in next week because we're going to have someone else who's just as interesting. Mark Marshaking his head. Maybe not. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> if, if he confirms, yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. I have a quick shout yeah, out. Sure. Hey, I've had a couple of people that have been come over to help my me work on my tiny houses, and and again, part of what I love about the tiny house movement is is the openness and willingness of people to help and people to show up. So shout out to Artisan John and Teresa. Um, they've been working with me the last couple of weeks and it's been a ton of fun. Artisan John and Teresa, thanks for working out there. Thanks, Rick. Yes, thanks, thanks, Rick. Rick, as Rick always, he's making us sound really good, especially when Perry goes to his girly voice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Bye. Bye. See ya. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>